I personally feel that there is no greater possession in all the world than my salvation. To say that you are a Christian, to say that you have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to know that you've been redeemed, bought back by his blood, means more than anything else in the world. To know that he changed your life when he saved your soul. To know that he gave you hope that you didn't have otherwise when he saved your soul. I'm here to tell you, salvation is worth more than everything in this world. And all of the goods that the world has can't compare to one moment that you have spent under the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I stress that this morning because the focus of this is all on our salvation. He uses it in the terminology. Salvation consists of different, different aspects, but it's all referring to one salvation. One of the aspects of salvation is redemption, which means to buy back. There's several terms that's used for redemption in the Bible, but I don't want to focus on that. I want to look more about the God of our redemption, the God of our salvation. Something different that you may have noticed and you may not have. See, when you look in your Bible and it's chapters and verses, sometimes you'll look at a verse and you'll think that verse stands alone by itself. But in reality, uh, when the Bible was originally recorded in the manuscripts, uh, they were written in the same grammatical form that we have. The only difference is it wasn't under the English grammatical form. It was for the time that they were in, whether it was Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. And if you'll look at verse 16, verse 16 ends with a period. Chapter 1 and verse 16. It ends with a period. So that means that's the end of that sentence. When you get to that sentence, you start in verse 17, verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21. At the end of verse 21, there is a period again. So 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 is all one long sentence. That changes your thought about it, doesn't it? So that means inside that sentence, there is a thought that he's wanting to convey to us. And the thought, the central theme is redemption in that particular sentence. That's why it's so long. I mean, really, can we ever stop talking about salvation? If I had you stand today and tell us about what it means to be saved, we would be here all day long and all into the night and we still maybe would only cover part of one little section of this sanctuary of people telling us about God's great salvation. So I suppose when he started writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think that he was, uh, was a lot like us. Every time you think about something good about salvation, it makes you think about something else. And he just couldn't stop. So he had to, had to continue on with the thought. With every comma led to another thought. And with, with every semicolon or, or colon, it led to another thought. Because it just brought out another aspect of that great salvation that we had. And this is what he said. And if you call on the Father, who without respect to persons, judgeth according to every man's worth, works, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, And here's the verse that you all know by heart. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. 
but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You are in church, aren't you? But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Who verily, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him, referring to Jesus, up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. He tells us here several things about redemption. If you make notes, just jot this down. First of all, he tells us what does not redeem us in verse 18. Corruptible things. Silver, gold, traditions, conversations. You can talk about salvation, but that doesn't mean that you're saved. Your traditions are good, but that's not what saves you. He says, so here's the things that do not redeem us. But then he tells us what does redeem us. The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. He tells us when our redemption was planned. He says in verse, if you look in verse 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Keep that in your mind because we're gonna deal with that word foreordained because there's so much, so much confusion around that word. And he also tells us about how that redemption was sealed. What is the evidence that he has the power to redeem and still has the power to redeem today? Verse 21, we believe in God because he raised Jesus from the dead. And because he's referring to the, to the resurrection, that he raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. And he goes on to say that your faith and hope might be in God. Now, for those of you that can go back in your mind when we started talking about 1 Peter, this epistle that was written, you'll find the word suffering and it's written to suffering saints that were going through difficult times and persecution. They were suffering. The best of God's people can suffer. And not all suffering is, is physical as far as illness or disease. There's the torture of mental persecution. To make someone suffer mentally is as bad as what they do physically. See, we all are not only made up with a body and with a soul, but we have a mind and emotions. And, those, and our mind and emotions sometimes can get to the place when you suffer with that so long. If it gets too big, then it will overcome you to the place where that you'll do things you wouldn't normally do. I'm sure many of you have watched the news the past couple of weeks where the young lady, 13 or 14 years of age, she, she was bullied in school and they beat on her, beat on her terribly. And it went viral on social media. Look right here, be careful what you post. Because this, this that we're dealing with, it's people and you don't know how tender their emotions are. She was more embarrassed over everyone knowing what had happened than the fact that it had happened, even though she had bodily injury, that it led her to the point of suicide and she took her own life. The reason that I'm saying this, I believe, I believe if the Lord tarries his coming, 
one of the greatest things this world is going to face is those that get in a state of mind of suffering with their with their emotions and with their mental situation that it will lead them to do things they wouldn't normally do and take their life. Have you noticed how suicide is on the increase? People will get good news. I'm talking about famous people. They'll win awards, they'll get good news one day and the next day they'll take their life. It is getting lonely up here this morning. But he's saying there's something that can help us. He's making us aware we suffer. But if we suffer, there's something that can help us in our suffering. Yes, you are going through things. Yes, Christians get sick. Yes, Christians get depressed. But salvation is greater than any suffering that we ever have in this world. That's why he said, if any man suffer, any Christian suffer, then suffer as a Christian. Suffer with the hope that we might have pain now, but there's coming a time we'll know pain no more. We may, we may be in a place where that we are bogged down mentally now, but there's coming a day when we're going to be free from all of that. So he says, here's our redemption. And he's dealing with the subject of redemption. So I'm gonna give you three truths about the God of our salvation. Shouldn't have told you that because you're saying if he went that long with the introduction, he gives us three, we're gonna be here a while. Well, I don't intend to be, but let's look at three truths about the God of our salvation. Number one, God knows. Where do you get that? Verse 20, who verily was foreordained, underline the word foreordained or write it down, foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, this is an interesting phrase because you can get caught up in a vicious cycle if you're not careful. When you talk about two aspects, to be foreordained, foreordained has no meaning if there's no foreknowledge. You have to have foreknowledge before something can be foreordained. And let me clarify it to you. See, there's no need to ordain a plan if you don't know that there's a need for that plan. But if you know something can happen and you you are aware that's going to happen and you take action ahead of time because of the knowledge that you have of what's going to happen. Let me put it in terms like this. Genesis 1-1 is creation. But did you know before there was ever a Genesis 1-1, God already had a John 3-16. He knew, it's not that he wanted man to sin, but he knew that man had the choice and woman had the choice, Adam and Eve, whether they would obey God or disobey God. And he had warned them, the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God said that before this world ever came into existence, in the eventuality that man made the wrong choice, God had a plan. Foreknowledge is simply to be aware of something before the fact. But foreordained means to have a plan to deal with that knowledge. So what he said was long before man ever got 
under the consequences of guilt of sin, grace had already been established as a standard with God. And in eternity's past, God had already come together with the Godhead and dissolved the, and, and dissolved the eventuality of sin with a plan that could take it all away called the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible says in Revelation, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, how many of you would agree with me? We all know, we all know Jesus didn't die on the day of creation. He didn't die on the day of creation. He died on Calvary 4,000 years later. But in the mind of God, God said, I've already got the plan." And to God, God already had it set aside that Jesus would pay the price. To say that God knows means that God knows. And if you go back to the message I dealt with some time again, does God know everything? We use that term. Yes, God does know everything. But I think you need to be more specific, especially in this unbelieving world we have today. God knows everything that he chooses to know. Well, it's quiet. I think some of you were here on that sermon. Well, what, what do you mean? Well, he said, in that day they'll stand before me. Have we not done miracles in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? He says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never. He's saying, I choose to look as though you never existed. He chooses he has the power to do that. We don't have the power to do that. But God knows everything that has happened. God knows everything that is happening. He knows everything going on in your life right now. God knows it. God knows everything that will happen. And God also knows everything, are you ready for this? That could have happened if you made another choice. See, he's there trying to direct us in love and to show us, and, and he knows if you take that right-hand road, then this is going to happen. You take the left-hand road, this is going to happen. You have no idea when you leave your house and you're, you're busy talking with your family in the car and you're so wrapped up in your conversation and you, you accidentally miss the turn and you have to go out of your way. You don't know what could have happened had you been on time. See, we forget to praise God for the things that didn't happen. That could have happened, but God spared us from that because he was watching out for us. That's what he's saying. God already knows. God already knew sin would enter in the world. He planned a course of action and the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Now here's our problem. We are captives of time. Everyone say this. I am a captive of time. Can I prove it to you? How many of you can remember a traumatic event in your life years ago? Don't tell me what it is. You can remember a traumatic event. Traumatic event. Can you go back to it? You can remember it, but you can't go back to it. 
Nobody here, we, we, can't, we can't go back to, we can remember the past, but we can't go back to it. We not only can remember the past, but we plan for the future. Does anybody here know how it's all gonna turn out? Only thing I know for sure is at the end is heaven. That's all I know for sure. I don't know where I'm going to before I get there. I don't know the mountains I'll climb, the valleys I'll go through, the suffering I'll have, the times of joy, the times of peace. I don't know any of those things. All I know is that I plan for the future. So I remember the past, I plan for the future, but I live in the present. I am captive to time. I cannot go back to my past. I can't go forward in my future. I'm bound to time. But here's the thing. God doesn't live in time. We live in time. God doesn't live in time. God lives in eternity. God lives when there was no time. Do you know there was a time when there wasn't time? There wasn't time until God created it and then he had the sun and the moon and suddenly we got daylight and dark and we're bound by this thing called time. But before there was daylight and dark, there was God. There was a time when there was no time. Do you know according to Revelation 10, 6, there will be a time when time will be no longer. There was a time when there was no time. There'll be a time when there'll be no time. And God was there when there was no time. And God was there when there'll be no time again. And God is here right now. Well, you say, Cal, that sounds great. But if God doesn't live in eternity, what's that mean? Well, here's a good statement for you. Tomorrow is the same as today with God. Tomorrow is the same as today. Well, what's that mean? That means he already knows what's gonna happen tomorrow. And that means since he doesn't live there, you want a blessing today? Since he doesn't live there, when we get to tomorrow, he's already there. And when we get to the future, he's already there. And by the way, he says there's coming a time when you're not gonna be bound by time anymore. There'll be a time where that you'll not be restrained by it whatsoever. And since God doesn't live in time, God can go before us. I can't go. If I knew we were gonna have a great service two weeks from now and 20 people be saved, I'd say, fast forward, let's go to it. We just get this all together trying to wake you up this morning. We just go straight to 20 people getting saved. But we don't have that ability. But yet God goes before us. Uh, I, I have a different, I'm getting into overtime. I don't know if I'll get to the rest of it. I have an app on my phone that I like better than any other app. Uh, if you travel as much as I travel, you'll understand. I love this app because uh, it not only gives me GPS and directions, but it tells me what lane to be in if I'm on a, on a highway that there's eight lanes and I'm gonna take a right and at the end of the ramp, I've gotta go left, it'll tell me get in the second lane from the right. I like that. 
I really like that. And it makes sure that I'm in the right lane, going the right direction because it anticipates what is in front of me. And you know what else it does? It tells me, Ken and I, I, I use this app while we're traveling. We'd rented a vehicle, gotten the vehicle, and we started to where we were staying. It was dark. Uh, the place that we were staying, uh, it's, it's a large concentration of sea turtles that comes in, so they have no, hardly any exterior lighting outside at all because it, you know why they don't have lighting outside for sea turtles, don't you? They go inland, they lay their eggs. When the eggs hatch, since Americans have now built so many condos and houses and all, on beach areas and just inland off the beach. When they, they come inland to lay their eggs and then they go back out to sea, when the eggs hatch, the eggs always hatch at a full moon. And when the eggs hatch, the little sea turtles know how to get to the ocean because of the reflection of the light of the moon on the water. So they follow the light. But if you have lights on houses and cities, it's brighter than the light of the moon. So they turn from the light of the ocean to the light of land and they go the wrong direction and they die. Now I, I could preach that right there. You gotta be careful because sometimes there's brighter lights that'll take you in the wrong direction. It looks good and you think you're going the right way, but in reality, you're going the wrong direction. That's why we have to keep our eyes on the light of the world and say my eyes is fixed on Jesus and I'm following him. He's the one that's gonna see me through. I'm not gonna to get to point two and three. <laughs> this GPS, what's great about it, we were headed in, it was dark, and there was an accident on the ramp. And we were coming from the airport, and it was hectic. And it, it told us of an accident, and then on up above, there was another accident. And then on beyond that, it told us there was a speed check. Now, when you get there, when you get there, sometimes, for example, the first accident, we knew and it, it tells us that it stopped. It tells when traffic's moving. It tells, me, it tells me if the traffic's completely stopped, how far it is. The longer the red line, when you glance down, the more you want to stay away from it. And we come to the first accident, we're in no hurry. So we just waited it out. We come to the second accident and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. After I pass by, a little, a little box pops up. It says clear, not clear. Do you know what it's saying? It's saying you're at this point now where the accident was at. Is there still an accident there? If it's clear, no accident, you just hit clear. And when you hit clear, that tells everyone that has that same app that's following you, hey, when you get there, it's all clear. Come on through. <laughs> Can I tell you about our God? He's not only gracious enough to redeem us, but he goes before us and things that should bog us down and tie us up. He sends a message from heaven saying, come on through. I've already been through here. And
and it's all clear. You don't have to worry about that. I don't care what you face. Even when you get down to the valley of the shadow of death, he's saying, come on through. It's all clear. I've gone this way. I'm here to tell you, it's okay. God knows. What's the other two? I'll tell you the next time. God knows. God knows. God knew you'd be here today. God knew the sermon you needed to hear. God knew the songs that they were to sing. My, can I tell you what my biggest problem pastoring is? You want to hear it? Finding the mind of God to know what to preach and when to preach it. Because there'll be some people that God sent into this place today that they may never pass this way again. Can I, can I give, give you some advice in love? If you ever do anything in ministry in this church, anything, teach, preach, sing, lead the choir, whatever you do when you're before others, seek the mind of God. Because you can either be a blessing, come on through, or you can tie it all up. It's just the way it works. God knew you would be here. God knew what you needed. God knows the suffering you're going through. God knows the problems that you have. God knows those that are against you. God knows those that have betrayed you. God knows those who are coming your way that's gonna love you and bless you. God knew that your kids would be in the place that they're in right now. God knew the journey that you're on. God knew the things that you had faced. God knows your bills. God knows your bank account. God knows your body. God knows. And God knew you needed to be here today to hear this sermon because what you need today is to get your eyes off your suffering and look to your salvation and hear the Lord say, come on through. It's all clear. I've gone before you. I've taken care of all of this. 